Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're joined by the wonderful John Bradley to talk all about his latest projects, Moonfall and Marry Me. And I wanted to start with Moonfall and talking about your collaboration with Roland Emmerich, who's the, the director of the film, um, because you've spoken about how he, he has a very collaborative approach when it comes to the way that he works with actors, um, you know, and particularly with you, and that he wants to create a really collaborative environment when it comes to character to make sure that characters come across as, as very rich and very layered. And you've really managed to do so much with this character of Casey within Moonfall um, and so I was interested in how you and Roland really worked on a lot of the character details and finessed that together before you even went into production. Well Roland Roland gives you um, a certain amount of freedom when it comes to your your characterizations he sort of it's, it's not that he doesn't do a great deal of character work on the page he does do that but he trusts you to use your own, not necessarily actorly instincts, but human instincts really, in order to create a character that people are gonna care about because he knows how to blow the world up. Nobody has got the right to collaborate with Roland when it comes to blowing up the world, but he knows the importance of, of creating characters that people care about. So the jeopardy of the, of the world blowing up matters and audiences are gonna care about that. So he really allows you to, flesh out the human side of these characters, which then are transplanted into his nightmarish hellscape. I mean, the, the interesting thing about, about the preparation for, for Moonfall is right at the very, very start, when I first spoke to Roland about it, he was asking me about my American accent. He said, do you do an American accent? And I said, I, I do. I, I, I could do with doing a bit of work on it before we launch into it. Uh, but I'd be very comfortable to try it because I've never, you know what I mean? I've, I've done it before, but I've never really sort of done it, done it with any, any, any degree of, basically what I'm trying to say is the American accent I did before wasn't particularly good. And I thought I'd like to really nail it on this. So I got to Montreal and in the two weeks before we started shooting, I worked with a coach because I was in quarantine for two weeks when I first got to Montreal, I had nothing else to do. So I did coaching every single day on my American accent. Uh, got onto set on my first day out of quarantine, met Roland. He said, how's the American accent? I said, it's pretty good. My coach is very, very happy with it. We think we can move ahead with it. And he said, well, let's hear some lines. And I did some lines in the American accent. And he said, okay, now just, just from, just, it sounds great. Do from, for my own uh, curiosity, do some lines in your own accent. And so I did the same lines in my own accent. And he said, oh, I prefer it actually. Yeah. I prefer it in your accent. And then suddenly what that brought to it was a whole sense of Casey being geographically a fish out of water. He's already socially a fish out of water in terms of he's quite awkward and his mind's always on space and he doesn't build relationships. He's emotionally isolated because he doesn't have anybody. The only person he has is his mother who's got dementia and she doesn't recognise him anymore. But as soon as you give him a British accent in America, he's a fish out of water to the nth degree. He's even more isolated and more a stranger in that environment than he would have been with an American accent. So sometimes you can plan and plan and plan, but sometimes you stumble on a little decision like that, which contextually enriches the character more, it's like, to add, add so many layers to a character that you weren't even necessarily planning on. It's those little moments and those little things that you discover along the way that really adds to the process. 
And in terms of enriching him as a character, you really get the opportunity to play him in a lot of different directions and emotional landscapes. You know, he's, he's allowed to be angry. He's allowed to be frustrated. He's also allowed to be very vulnerable and very tender in terms of the relationship that he starts to build with Patrick Wilson's character. Um, And so you really get to play in, in each direction with him, you know, and he's allowed to be excited by things. He's allowed to be afraid. And was that a sense that you got very quickly from the page of the, the script and, and how did you kind of go into scenes figuring out the different textures and the different directions that you wanted to play if, because it's not about oh well this is the scene where he feels this way it's really about capturing all of those aspects in each moment within your performance yeah I mean whenever any actor gets a, I mean I mean actors would like you to think that the, as soon as they read a script they're on about oh it's just all about the whole it's on about it's all about the story as a whole. It's all about the vision. But basically, when, when you first read a script, your first instinct is, what do I get to do in this? What are the moments in this that will excite me most about playing this part? And in, in, if, if, it, if, it's a, if it's a decent script, you'll get one or two. If it's a good script, you'll get sort of three or four. If it's a really great script that, that really captures your imagination, you can get an unlimited amount almost. And when I read this, for the first time, I, it suddenly occurred to me, oh, I can do, I can do everything here. I can, I, there's so many um, sort of colours, so many parts of my uh, emotional palette that I can use to play this part. Uh, I, 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 just, I just instantly felt that it was, it was a really nice showcase for, for what I can do and, and would move my, would stretch me, but also play to my strengths and, yeah, I was just so, so very happy that that Roland thought of me for this part. And also another thing that I like to do, and it's a bit of a dirty word these days when it comes to acting, is I quite like to find ways to entertain. Like it seems to me like a lot of actors don't necessarily think that entertaining is that important. They think it's all about it's all about their own <clears throat> their own process and what they get from it and stuff like that. They don't necessarily think, oh, I've got an audience to perform for and I'm in service to an audience and my job is to entertain an audience. I've never not thought about that. I've always thought about ways that I can entertain. You don't have to be tap dancing necessarily, but if you can find one or two little moments where you say things in a way that people weren't expecting and you offer that up to an audience and they go, oh, I'm really tickled by that or I find that moment really watchable and interesting. I try and find moments where I can do that as well. Obviously, I try to lay the emotional groundwork of it. But if you can find, if you can get your cake base and then at the end of it, find a couple of little bits of decoration to put on top of it. I've never shied away from doing that. And Roland was very, very, uh, uh, very, uh, let me have my head for some of those moments, shall we say. That's really great. And, and you really do get the opportunity to create so many of those entertainment moments and, and bring in the comedic against, you know, two characters who are being kind of like the straight faced characters within a lot of situations. But I appreciate that the comedy kind of like pokes fun at your character a little bit, but it never feels like he's the butt of the joke. It's like the comedy is that this is actually an incredibly intelligent guy who knows exactly what he's talking about, but he just keeps ending up in rooms where nobody's listening to him. And then yeah. what does, you know, what's that unbridled joy and excitement? 
excitement, like where he kind of gets, you know, kind of takes it a little too far because he's so excited when he's in the room with people that where he's finally on his play, you know, the right playing field with people that understand his language. Um, and was it important to you that the comedy come across in that way where, you know, you're able to kind of have a lot of fun with the character, but it's not about making jokes at the character's expense? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important. And, you know, the thing that bothered me, or not bothered me, but the thing that I had reservations about when I first read it was, is there any way that people are going to say this is just uh, Sam from Game of Thrones in a, in space, essentially? Is it, is it just getting to see? Because, you know, obviously I've played characters before where they're the smartest person in the room and they go into a room and they're trying to convince other people of an idea, of a big idea that other people don't want to hear or dismiss or sort of can't get their heads around. I've, I've played some of those notes before with Samwell, but the thing that jumped off the page about this role was just his sheer confidence in himself, his sheer sort of bumptious energy. He's got no reservations about getting himself out there and putting his ideas across. He's, he, he's confident enough to go up to an astronaut and say, here's what I think, and here's, here's what I think, and you're good, you better believe me. And he doesn't have any compunction about putting himself in any room with any group of people and trying to get his ideas across. That's something that's so different from anything I've ever played before. I've never played a character with that kind of, that kind of bulletproof conviction and confidence in himself. And I think when you have a character like that, you almost can laugh at them a little bit. I know a lot, a lot of the humour comes from his characterisation and the things that he says. But I've, when a character has that real stone, that when, when his self-confidence is built on such solid foundations, you can laugh at him as an audience because you know that he can, he can ride it. You know what I mean? So, so he, he, he's vulnerable later on in the movie, but especially when we first join him, he's a man on a mission and he totally believes in himself. And that's why I, one of the reasons I found the character so sort of so captivating, but it's also it gives it gives other characters and the audience a license to laugh at him because, you know, he's he's his own man and it's not really going to hurt him. No, and I like that you were mentioning that there is still that vulnerability a little bit later in the film. And, you know, there's even a moment where he he's like, you know, I suffer from crippling anxiety. And so we get to see that. But you also get to see him as someone who who kind of like has figured out the mechanisms to overcome it. He's in, you know, a literal life or death situation saying I'm a little bit anxious about this. And yet he's still moving forward and being very proactive about a lot of the choices and actions that he's making. Um, and so how did you want to approach that side of the vulnerability and of the character again? Kind of going back to what you were just saying about his self-assuredness kind of being the overriding element i wanted i wanted to to get across the idea in those moments and in and in the big final moment that his bravery almost takes him by surprise like his he gets swept along with his own bravery and finds himself on a rocket ship and you can imagine him sort of looking around going how did i get how did i get here because he's he sort of agreed to it without almost didn't doesn't have the time to second guess himself doesn't have time to remember that he's supposed to be anxious because i think that it's it, it's a, it's a, it's in essence the sort of second and third act of that movie is about a man 
discovering how brave he is. And I, I, I really think that that was a very bold choice for, for Roland and, and for, you know, for a movie like this that's bound to have heroes in it, you have your prescribed heroes. And Patrick is such a heroic actor and looks like such a hero and behaves like such a hero. He's, he's so in pole position to be the hero of this piece. But, but to give the heroic moment to a man who discovers how brave he is at the exact same second that the audience discover how brave he is, I think that's a really nice nice twist on it. And, and it, was, it was great to work my way through that script and, and chart, his, chart his relationship with himself as well, which, which is always an interesting part to play. Because you know, when the film starts, we spoke about it a second ago, he's completely alone in the world. He has his cat, Fuzz Aldrin, but he doesn't have a father. His father's died. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any relationship with the people that he works with. His mother doesn't recognise him, and so he has no relationship there. He's completely alone in the world. The only thing that he's got to go on is his own sense of self. And to, and to start from that place and, and go on a bit of a roller coaster with him, all the undulations of his self-confidence and self-belief, it was a real... It was a real uh, it was, it was a really fun, but at times quite heartbreaking path to chart. And you were talking there about Patrick Wilson and potentially diving into spoiler territory a little bit. I wanted to talk about the moment between the two of you towards the end of the film when they're essentially saying goodbye to each other and potentially this is the last time they're ever going to see each other because you've taken this relationship between these two men who are essentially strangers at the beginning. They've then been thrust into this situation where they're having to rely on one another for their lives. You know, it is literally a life and death situation within their friendship, but also there's that real kind of kinetic connection between the two of them because Patrick's character is the first person to listen to Casey and to really acknowledge him and bring him into his, you know, and say, do all these things and we want you to do them. Um, and I thought that the scene between the two of them with that goodbye because of that, was really tender and really beautiful to watch these two men who, you know, have gone from that slightly antagonistic meeting to that point. And was just interested in how you and Patrick work together to find kind of that emotional connection in that scene in that moment and filming it. Well, I think in that scene, and, the, and, and, and it's a line that I, I, I'm sure that we didn't, we didn't actually discuss it too much, but the key line of that scene for me and I'm not sure if it was the key line for Patrick, but almost Casey, Casey's entire arc through the film culminates in, in, in the moment where Brian says, you're not crazy. I think, that, I, I think that that is the biggest gift. That is the biggest parting gift that anyone could ever give Casey because he's been told he's crazy. He's been told he's wrong. He's been told that he's everything he thinks about the thing that he cares the most about is completely wide of the mark. For him to say in, in, in their final moments together, you're not crazy. It's, it, 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 you, you can sort of see what it does for Casey in that moment. It lifts an enormous weight off his shoulders. You can almost see the stress and the frustration and the turmoil leaving in that one moment because finally somebody believes him and somebody knows that he's right. And, and it, it's a, it's a trade-off in that moment. And this is something that occurred to me very, very, like the night before we, we shot it, um, was that Casey is 
doing this, his, his ultimate moment of sacrifice, because he wants Brian to go back to his kids, because he knows what it's like to grow up without a father or without a parent or with, with, with something missing in his life. He knows what it's done to him and he knows what it's done. It's the pain of that, the pain of losing a parent when you're very young. So it's almost as if Casey does what he does to spare Brian's kids the pain of that loss because he knows what it feels like to lose that figure. And that moment, it's a trade-off, you know. You know, I'm, I've, I've done everything I want to do. I've got into space. Who would have ever thought that would ever be possible? I've been, I've been fixated on space. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a tiny little kid. I'm, I'm now in space, and my life on Earth isn't worth going back to. I'm lonely, and I've got nobody. I'm perfectly willing to die up here for your, so you can go back to your family if you tell me that I wasn't crazy. There's something about that that's actually really, really powerful. And it gets me quite emotional when I think about it. You know, this isn't just a, this isn't just a, a sort of eye candy uh, disaster movie full of explosions and stuff. That moment between the two of them is really properly beautiful. And Patrick was an was a absolute joy to do that scene with. And yeah, I found it really, really effective. And, it's those little tiny human connective moments that make that, that give you the right to blow everything up. And there are so many really beautiful and lovely ties back to Casey's childhood with, with what you was talking about, that this is something that he's aspired to his entire life. And, you know, he's, he's self-taught himself and self, you know, he studied every way, you know, to reach this level of understanding that he has, which is pretty astounding. Um, but I also love that that brings a real childlike joy, you know, when he finally gets to NASA, when he gets to, you know, even for him meeting an astronaut and having an astronaut acknowledge him, it's like a childhood coming true. Um, and so how did you want to approach that idea of just like that real childlike joy and kind of unbridled excitement, um, but where it still never feels like a naivety, like, oh, I never thought that I experienced these things. It's just like, oh, I'm finally in the place I've meant to be my whole life. Yeah, there was something about there was something about that juxtaposition between somebody who is very very intelligent and and very you know has has this very mature sort of curiosity when it comes to his studies and when it comes to his passion, but also this sense of childlike abandon, which 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 comes out in the fact that I've never done more I've never done more shouting. I, I, I don't really shout much as an actor. I went through Game of Thrones for seven years doing little more than mumbling and all that time. But the thing about KC is, especially when, he's, when he has these moments of great excitement, he will shout. He will properly shout. He will, he will shout inappropriately loud and he will say inappropriate things. He's almost sort of, he's very unfiltered when it comes to what he says. And he will say, he'll, he'll say the most, a cringeworthy, embarrassing thing that you really shouldn't say. But that all comes out of the fact that, that, that you know, he's... Yeah, yeah you're right. Naive isn't, isn't necessarily the word, the word but he's, he's very... Um, he's just, he just literally cannot believe his luck that he's been there. And, you know, this is, this is the one time of his life 
where he gets to he gets to go and be the thing that not only he's always wanted to be, that he's thought about every single second of his life. When he's serving old ladies sandwiches at the drive-thru, he's thinking about space, and then he gets to suddenly be in space. There's no way that he can sort of keep his cool in that moment. And pl playing those playing those moments of pure, unadulterated joy, knowing what we know about his childhood and knowing how unhappy he has been, and some might say how unhappy he still is deep down, to give him those little moments of joy, it felt like just rewards for a, for a very, very hard life. And I really, really enjoyed doing those moments because I felt he deserved them and I was happy that I could live those moments of joy through him because in his life, they've been very few and far between. And I wanted to talk very quickly about Marry Me as well, in which you're playing Jennifer's character, Kat, her manager um, yeah. in the film. Is there's a really great trajectory of your character where he kind of he comes beginning as her manager and he's there obviously trying to make sure that moving forward, trying to predict things ten steps ahead of everybody else. And then it felt as there's the trajectory of connection, Jennifer's character and with Owen Wilson's character Charlie, Charlie makes Jennifer Lopez's character become a little bit more vulnerable and open herself up a little bit more that transcends to the people around her and in turn your character as well um and so are you looking at the dynamic between the two of them the journey that cats create that parallel or was that very much just about how the script how you and Kat Koira the the director of the film kind of character coming through uh well we we had several zooms or they were probably skypes actually because Zoom seems to be a sort of post-COVID thing where Zoom's coming to its own. We had a couple of Skypes and we were talking about my sort of motivation for this character. And, and the image that I couldn't get out of my head when I was thinking about Colin is the idea of, a, of the swan, the swan who is very, very graceful above the surface of the water, but he's paddling away, paddling away frantically under the surface and not really allowed, having to keep all of his anxieties and all of his sort of frustrations at bay in Kat's presence just to preserve this sense of calm and control that he has over these situations and no we did we didn't really we didn't really speak about about that that evolving relationship but but what occurred to me personally when I started uh, looking at that part was Colin for for Kat He's and, and everything that he wants her to be, and he will be whatever she needs him to be at any moment. Like he will be her confidant, he will be a protector, he will be a a, a business manager. He, he he performs so many different functions in her life that whenever she turns to him, he's there with whatever she can possibly need. And it's interesting to see that as the film goes on she needs less and less from him as time goes on. He's always there in the early stages and, you know, spoiler alert, he's there towards the end as well, but he's always there with a piece of advice. He's there with a piece of information. He's there with practical things. He's there with lists of stuff. He's there to take phone calls for her. But the more she meets Owen and the more she, she, she falls in love, you get a sense that that team means less and less to her because she has she's fallen in love and when you've fallen in love that person is the only thing that really matters to you so that's that that's the sort of lesson really all of the things that surround her all of the stuff that she has in her life it was all just 
all of the people that she has around her and the functions that they perform, they were all just placeholders until she fell properly in love. And I think that that's, that's a really nice function for that, for that character to play. And I love playing that part. It was my, as I say, we shot it in 2019 and it's just the way COVID works that we shot these films a year apart and they, they're coming out a week apart. It was my first job after Game of Thrones. I didn't work for a year. Uh, I was looking for something that was modern and couldn't be compared to Game of Thrones in any way and a different character altogether uh, just to completely sort of cast off that um, the weight of that show and that role. And this fell into my lap and I was so grateful to Jennifer and to Elaine Goldsmith Thomas for having me on it. Yeah, just just really unlocked a door for me and and I was playing parts that like playing moments and attitudes and emotions that I've never played before. And yeah, I'm really, really proud of it and really proud of his function and really proud of it as a as a film and and the fact that I got to do it when it's so different to anything I've ever done before. I was just grateful that they thought of me for it. And yeah, and they really I went through a bit of a fog after Game of Thrones when my confidence wasn't at its highest and I thought I'll never work again and I thought my sort of best years were behind me and I don't think they really know what them giving me that chance did for my confidence it saved my confidence I'm very grateful to them and I'm very much looking forward for people to to see that one as well yeah I mean I, I think it's very serendipitous that these two different projects are coming out for you at the same time even though like you said very different times because they're both showing such a great breadth of what you bring to the screen as a performer. So thank you so much for talking about both of these with us. Really appreciate your time today, John. Oh, not at all. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.